Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I it felt, felt, felt I feel right. right. I was so and I just happy. thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about education going wrong, which I'm sure now that we're a couple weeks into the school year, is a subject on the minds of some of us. Our first story today is from Alvin Irby. It was recorded in July 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was fireworks. Uh, I was a kindergarten teacher, um, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. But, you know, having a master's degree in uh, childhood education from Bank Street, you know, I learned a lot, but there are certain things that I was not prepared for. Accidents was one of them. Like, I didn't say accident, I said accidents. For those of you who have never taught kindergarten, I mean peeing all over the place, all the time. Like one accident, it happens, that's normal, right? We all know that. But accidents, okay, this is what happened, right? So one day during class, little girl walks up to me and she's like, Mr. Irby, I had an accident. I'm like, oh, are you sure? And she's like, yes, Mr. Irby, I'm sure. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I can do this, <laughs> right? And, but that wasn't the thing. She started getting like real aggressive. She was like, Mr. Irby, where my jeans at? And I was like, excuse me? She's like, where my, she slowed it down like I was special. She was like, where my jeans at? And I was like, first of all, this is not cute, okay? Okay, this is not cute to be peeing on yourself like this. It's not a game. This is it's not normal, okay? Now, in kindergarten, parents send the children to school with an extra pair of clothes and a big gallon Ziploc bag. So in my classroom, I had a huge container full of Ziploc bags with extra clothes. So I say, okay. Wait over here, don't touch anybody. I'm gonna get you your bag with your clothes. Now, I go to rummage through 
and I find her bag, but it does not have jeans. Uh, it actually had some ugly gray sweatpants, but I'm an adult. I did not laugh <laughs> at a child. That would be inappropriate to do that. I would not do that to a child. I handed her, but I did say, here are your jeans. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, stop it. Uh, so, and so I send her out, you know, down the hallway with her large Ziploc bag. And I say, don't take a long time. I'll be waiting. And when I turn around, there were three students with their hands raised. I had not asked a question. So I don't understand why they would be so curious or whatever was happening with all the hands. And one of them speaks, you know, and she says, Mr. Irby, we had an accident. Now, I'm like, oh, you the little P representative is who you are. You are the little, you are the P representative of the others. Y'all are synchronizing your peeing is what happening in this classroom. This is not normal, right? And so um, at this point, I'm confused, right? Cause I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, if somebody peed on themselves, everybody would just make fun of them. There was like social pressure to like, don't pee, not a good idea. Like, don't do this. But this is like postmodern kids. So you can't, you can't, you don't talk about anybody. Right? I had to say, stop that. Don't make fun of people. Everyone has accidents. And then one little girl wants to be all smart. Mr. Irby, do you have accidents? No, Mr. Irby does not have accidents. I'm grown. I'm not in kindergarten. Where were we? Uh, so I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on in this classroom that everybody's peeing everywhere all the time. And so, okay, I taught at a charter school, right? And at this charter school, everybody had to wear uniforms, right? You had to wear uniforms, right? Just khakis and like a little standard, you know, school shirt, unless you had an accident. Then you got to change into your jeans. <laughs> so I was convinced at this point that there was like a little pee gang in my classroom, <laughs> right? And so what was happening is that they would get together in their little pee gang and instead of getting jumped in like you were a crip or a blood, you get peed into the gang. That's how it works. <laughs> in my kindergarten. So I was just imagining these little girls hanging out and saying, if you wanna be in our gang, you gotta let it go. And we're not talking about a little tinkle tinkle, you gotta change into your jeans. Cause I was a very imaginative teacher. Uh, I was a very imaginative. See, but this, okay, let me explain. When I taught kindergarten, right? It was my first time ever teaching kindergarten. They had nap time. I don't have no kids. When I have climbed Machu Picchu. I even climbed Little Wiener Picchu. That's the little mountain on top of Machu Picchu. I have run three marathons, right? But you know what was more difficult than all of those? Getting a room full of four and five-year-olds to go to sleep at the same time. 
right? You're more likely to find a celibate crackhead. It's just next to impossible is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is not likely to be able to make that happen. So I'm brilliant, right? I decide I am going to play nature music, right? This is what I'm gonna do. It's very relaxing. It's very relaxing, right? And it worked. The kids started falling asleep. And I was like, wow. Well, if this will relax them and make them fall asleep during nap, I should just play nature music all day and just relax the kids, right? All day. Now, what I hadn't anticipated was Pavlov's theory of classical conditioning, is what I'm saying. Um, Nature music has certain sounds, you know, like ocean sounds and creek sounds and river sounds. And so I should have known. I should have known. There were signs, there were warnings. Like in kindergarten, the only thing harder than like getting all these little kids to fall asleep was trying to wake them up after they had actually falling asleep, right? And at first I tried, I was, I, you know, the first you know, week I was like, hey, time to get up. I pat them, you know, real gently on their back, but they were dead, you know, they didn't move, they didn't breathe or nothing, they just stayed there. And I said, okay, this is not gonna work, you know? Um, and so then, you know, I did some experiments, minimal risk. And so I learned that what you have to do to wake up kindergartners is you just have to, you know, grab them under the arms, and you just pick them up and stand them on their feet, right? Now they will lean over. If you've ever been to 125th Street in Lexington, you may have seen the motion, right? Now I'm 97% sure none of my kindergartners have ever done heroin. However, they would never fall. They would just lean over, but they would never fall. They just leaned over. And so I would pick them up and put them on their feet. And so one of these kids, I picked them up and there was a puddle. Not a little puddle, like there was a big puddle on this little mat. And I said, you know, what, what were you dreaming about? And he said, Niagara. I said, what? That's when I should have known I didn't know. It was a flag, a red flag that he was dreaming about, Niagara. Um, what I'm saying is that in my kindergarten classroom, I had, you know, unwittingly become a, like a young black Pavlov is what I'm saying. I had played the nature music and induced uh, the kids to pee everywhere. Uh, it was not my best moment as a teacher. It was not. Um, but I learned a lot. And um, uh, after that uh, week of uh, the pee epidemic, uh, I decided no more nature music. We just gonna play jazz from here on out. Uh, everybody, y'all are amazing. Thank y'all so much. That was Alvin Irby. Alvin received his Master's of Science in Childhood Education from Bank Street College of Education and his MPA in Public and Nonprofit Management and Policy from New York University. 
He is a former kindergarten teacher turned award-winning social entrepreneur, comedian, and author. As founder and chief reading inspirer at Barbershop Books, Alvin was awarded the National Book Foundation's Innovations in Reading Prize. His TED Talk, How to Inspire Every Child to Be a Lifelong Reader, has been viewed over one million times, and he has been featured in the stand-up NBC National Showcase. You can check out his 2018 comedy album, Really Dense, as well as his debut children's book, Gross Greg. Before we move on to our next story, I just want to let everybody know that next week we have some exciting changes coming to the Story Collider podcast. So be on the lookout for a special bonus episode in addition to our regular weekly Friday episode. Should arrive on Tuesday. I know the suspense is killing you, but you only have to wait a few more days. Uh, We're really looking forward to sharing this with you. Our next story today is from Aida Rosenbaum. It was recorded in May 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The show was presented in partnership with Math for America. (sighs) Okay, so I've been teaching for 16 years. I started teaching in one of those alternative teaching programs where they were going to teach you everything you need to know about how to be a teacher in one summer. Yeah. I should have known there was a problem with this. I should have realized something was wrong when my literacy professor taught the class by putting copies of the textbook on the overhead projector and reading them out loud to us. It's like, really? You're going to teach me how to help kids who can't read by reading out loud to me? That really happened. But So September happened a lot faster than ever before. At least it felt that way to me. And I got a job in the local zone school where I grew up. I never went to that school. I was terrified of that school. (laughs) That school had a reputation for gangs and violence and drugs and I would do anything to not go there. So I studied after school every day and I placed into Bronx Science and I got the heck out of there. (laughs) My friends were not as lucky and so I considered this job like kind of my my ability to redeem. Like I was gonna have an opportunity to be part of the solution. I was gonna go in and provide the highest quality education in a rough neighborhood. I was full of hope and optimism. One week into teaching at that school, I was really running short on hope and optimism. I was looking around like, you cannot be serious. (laughs) This is a practical joke, right? There's gonna be like a candid camera somewhere. I'm 22 years old and I'm in a classroom with 34 teenagers all by myself, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> um, so there was a kid in this class who was 19 years old and he reminded me every day of how close in age we were. And he would come up to me and say, yo, miss, miss, if we were in DR, you would be my wife. And I'd be like, ew, ah. <laughs> and, but I, I kept this like stone face, so strict. Sit down, do you do now? You have two minutes left. The do now's not done yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they sat down. They didn't really do many do nows, and they talked about whatever they wanted. I spent pretty much every night up until midnight or more planning lessons, and then the next day only doing 25% of the lesson. And then I go into my AP after like the first month, and I was like, what am I going to do? Help me. And she said, no, don't worry. Don't worry. You know what? We don't really expect those kids to pass the test anyway. Wow, she actually said that out loud? <laughs> like that's, that's like totally defeats the purpose of me being here. <laughs> so the next month, 
forget what that AP said. I decided I was going to take them to the school-based library and I was going to teach them how to cite sources and write research papers. And I'd never taken any of the kids out of the classroom before, so I was super nervous. I was going to walk downstairs with 34 kids and we did it. I got every single one of them into the library and into a seat and I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was doing a good job. And the librarian started talking and and I realized, oh shit, this is really boring. <laughs> the librarian the librarian is defining plagiarism. I look around, I'm like, oh then out of nowhere, wham! One student grabs another student by the back of his head and smashes his face into the computer monitor. And this was 16 years ago, so I'm talking really big computer monitors. <laughs> the computer monitor didn't break, the kid's face broke, and there was blood. And the blood was pooling up between the keys and the keyboard, and all the other kids went from half asleep to maniacal crazy creatures jumping and clawing at each other, and they jumped over chairs and they screamed at each other, and they were like, oh, oh yeah, fuck him up! And I couldn't see anymore, Now it was just this writhing mass of kids piling on top of each other. I ran down the hall to the safety agents. A pack of safety agents came and broke up the kids and took them away. And I was told to stay in the library. I don't know what happened to the rest of my class. I guess somebody covered my class. But I was there alone. And the library was eerily quiet. And the chairs were toppled over. The handouts I had worked so hard to make were just fluttered all over the library like confetti. And the blood was still there on the screen. I had to talk to the police, the EMT, the ambulance, the principal, the school safety agents. I had to repeat the story to the dean. I had to write an official statement. And every time I told the story, every time I was like, this was my fault. Why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't I know that there was something going to happen? In this, in this state, I had to go to my college class. So it's time to go. I walked to the subway in a trance and I got on the downtown one train during rush hour, squeezed in with everybody. And I really didn't want to go. I would have done anything else, like drink a lot at a bar or go beat up a punching bag in a gym or go home and cry or do all three of them, but not go to college class. <laughs> but I went anyway. And I don't, I don't even remember what the lesson was about, but the professor was playing a video. I was late, so the video was already on. The professor was playing a video, and it was like a college class, no, college class, uh, students in a Colorado classroom. There were probably 20 white kids sitting in desks, and they were taking notes. The teacher was teaching, and it was so pristine and so calm. How, how could there be only 20 kids? Where are all the rest of the kids? Why are the desks so clean? Do they spend like a million dollars on every classroom in this school? Did they pay students to raise their hands and behave so politely? What is this shit? I looked around the room. I looked at my classmates and they're, they're my friends. I went to class with them all summer and I really, I thought they were good people and I thought somebody else should be getting mad about this, right? Not just me. How could, we just sit here and watch this. Like, what? My class doesn't look like this. This isn't going to help me. So I got up and I screamed, this is ridiculous. 
This is not going to help me. This is nothing like my classrooms. Where These kids are not my kids. This strategy isn't going to work for me. And if you want to tell me that this strategy is going to work, then you need to show me some statistics. Like, we're all scientists in this room right now, right? You're going to push this pseudo bullshit on me? Like, I'm just supposed to swallow it and do it because you say it's going to work? That is not my classroom. And I look around the room. Well, that's what I thought I said. You know what? It's been 16 years, so... I really thought I said these things, and I'm like, what about the variables like class size and income and parental education levels and poverty and blah, 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 and all this stuff? But what I actually said was probably like, this is bullshit, and it's a fucking waste of my time. And I grabbed my bags, and I stood up, and I stormed out of the room before anybody could say anything to me. And I never went back. So the next, I guess, I don't know, after a couple of weeks of realizing, well, I'm going to fail, I never go back. <laughs> I went to go meet with the Dean of Academics and she told me, you gotta stay in the program. Despite your grievances, you gotta stay in the program. The kids need to see teachers who look like you. And while I don't disagree with her on that, I also couldn't stomach just dealing with the fake education in that program and going along with the charades of like, this is actually gonna work. And I was really kind of disappointed in my classmates. I thought like, you know, I know you're like new right out of college and a lot of them were not from New York, but they were all just trying to like jump through hoops, get their certification. Maybe some of them honestly were just trying to get their college forgiveness, their college loans forgiven. But I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I dropped the program. It didn't end up costing me a lot more money. It took a lot of time. And I had to change jobs or change schools, not by choice. But in the long run, it was a lot more meaningful. So now, I mean, after 16 years, I actually have lived in the same neighborhood where I've taught for most of that time. And the people working in my local supermarket are pretty much all my former students in the library, um, maitre d's and waiters at the bars and the restaurants that I go to. They're all my former students. And I talk to them. A lot of them have kids of their own now. And they're so unhappy. Their parents came here, most of them were immigrants, so that they could have a better life. And they graduated high school and they went to college, but they're just punching the, card, punching the clock, collecting the check, living day by day, and not really getting, like they feel like there's any meaning to it. About three months ago, <clears throat> a former student of mine, I'll call him Jose, he used to be the top kid in my AP class, and he, scored well enough on the regents, I'm sorry, on the AP exam to get college credit. And that was really important because he's undocumented. They don't give undocumented kids financial aid. He had to pay for every college credit out of his own pocket. He's lost. He tells me he feels stuck. He feels like he's done everything he's supposed to do and he feels cheated. And I just had to tell him like, you can't just get the degree. You can't just do the program because you're supposed to. So. <clears throat> I'm just wondering, like, I'm supposed to be a master teacher. I am. I have the title, master teacher. I know my shit. <laughs> I can teach my curriculum really well. I know the content really well. I have great pass rates. I've congratulated thousands of kids that have crossed the stage at graduation. I've seen kids super excited about their college acceptance letters. I've got 90% pass rates on Regents, like, every year. I've 
thought that they were successful because they passed the tests. I thought they were successful because they graduated and I thought they were successful because they got accepted to college. I thought I was successful because I got them to pass the test. But now I'm not so sure. I'm really questioning like, what else could I have done? What other meaningful thing am I supposed to teach them to help them to be successful? And <clears throat> I don't think that we're doing that necessarily. I'm not really sure how, like you have to, you have to find purpose in your life and you're not gonna find it necessarily by the time you graduate high school. But how do we even begin thinking about that and helping students get there? I don't have it figured out. I don't have an answer to tell them, but I feel like it's a question that's worth exploring. And I just don't know how I can help students thrive <clears throat> as people, not just survive, not just get a check. And <clears throat> I'm really questioning how to have faith and belief in an education system that's constantly setting up teachers and students for failure. Thank you. That was Aida Rosenbaum. Aida is a high school earth and environmental science teacher at the Bronx Latin School. She is also the science department team leader, a facilitator of the youth court, the gardening club teacher, a coach of new teacher mentors, the school ed tech specialist, and a member of the Learning Partners Program, working to share best practices between schools. Aida is a native New Yorker who has been teaching for 16 years at four different high schools. She is currently in her second fellowship as a Math for America master teacher. StoryClider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation. End of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely. With help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. Stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Tracy Rowland, Gastor Almonte, and Nissa Greenberg. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Zoe Saunders, Jun Chen, and Quinn Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Caveat for hosting these shows and to teachers and students everywhere for somehow making it work. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.